eventually. So, preschoolers, off to my right. Other kids to my left with Mrs. Brienne. And so while the kids are going out, you can open your Bibles to the letter of James. Chapter 1. All right. Well, we are we're continuing on in our, our series, as you can see up here on the screen, through, through the book of James. And our series is called Real Faith. And if you're like me, you like reading the book of James. Um, I love to read it. I love studying it. There's so much um, within the pages of the book of James that we can learn from and, and grow from. And so we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 27 here this morning. And within those verses that we're going to read, James gives us some very insightful things to consider when it comes to God's Word. And what we're talking about here this morning is hearing and doing, right? Because it doesn't do us much good to hear something and then do nothing with it, right? And so I want to get the, the wheels in your brain spinning here this morning by having you consider this. Uh, this is a very, very recent um, survey that was put out. It's from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. It's, this was published May 12th of 2022, so just a few weeks ago. Um, and really, when you hear this, you're, you'll probably be just as disparaged as I am because this is um, it's really sad. I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Um, but you'll understand here in a second. So, a new nationwide survey of America's Christian pastors shows that a majority of pastors lack a biblical worldview. They said, in fact, just slightly more than a third, which is 37% of the people that they, they surveyed, so 37% of pastors possess a biblical worldview, and the majority of 62% hold a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. And in general terms, syncretism is just taking bits of this religion, bits of the world, uh, bits from over here, uh, bits from Christianity, and combining it all together, and then we lump it in and say that's Christianity, right? Obviously, that's not Christianity. Um, according to this latest report, they, they, they divided things down between senior pastors and associate pastors and youth pastors and things like that. So, according to positions of the senior pastors, 41% hold a biblical worldview. Like, not even, not even half hold a biblical worldview. Now, the highest, that was the highest of, of the, the positions held was a senior pastor holding a biblical worldview. Uh, the next highest was 28%, and that was with the associate pastors that they surveyed. Uh, but they also write here that one of the more concerning revelations emerging from the research is the worldview of pastors who work with young people. All right, so the study found that only 12%, only 12% of children's and youth pastors hold a biblical worldview. And among teaching pastors, 
the level of biblical worldview is a mere 13%. And those are the people who are working with our young kids that are helping teach and train up the next generation, and only 12 to 13% of them have a biblical worldview. Lastly, I just want to point out, and this is just Christians in general that were surveyed, but almost 9 out of 10 U.S. adults, which would be 88%, embrace syncretism as their primary worldview. And do you, do you find that alarming like I do? Maybe your silence answers that question. That's very alarming to me. But really, an unbiblical worldview is the result of the lack of biblical knowledge, right? It's the lack of the study of doctrine, the lack of the study of theology, the lack of applying what the Bible actually says to our life and then doing what it says to do. And that includes even when it's, when it's hard for us to swallow. That's the way I say it. Sometimes things the Bible tells us are hard things to swallow. Right? Too often, many times, we, we try to interpret the Bible through my feelings. Right? I, I look in the Bible and I want it to say something, and so I'm looking for that in the Scripture. And, and so we interpret the Bible through our, our thoughts and our own feelings rather than by what it actually says. And that's where we run into trouble when we make it mean what we want it to mean rather than what it actually says. And I say all this this morning again to get us thinking, but I also, I also want you to know that James has a lot to say about this in, in his entire letter, but specifically in, in this section here that we're going to read. And I want to go through the whole section because there's so much that we can pull from it and talk about here this morning. And I really want us to understand this section in context as well. And not just these verses, but in the context of his whole letter. Right? The, the, the letter is meant to be read in, in one sitting and taken together in context of the, the letter in its entirety. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning as we're talking about the Word of God. So, when it comes to the Word of God, there are three things that you need to remember. And if you have your bulletins, you can, you can turn them to the back if you want. You can write all of these things down. I've got three main points, and there's some subpoints, and I just don't want you to forget anything. So there's a nice big note section on the back that you guys can take advantage of if you would like. But first of all, when it comes to God's Word, um, you must receive God's Word. You must receive God's Word. I want you to look in your Bibles there at verse 21, the second part of verse 21. Because it tells us there, James says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Alright, receive with meekness. We are to receive the word of God with meekness. And meekness means with a gentle spirit. It means receiving it with a heart of humility, right? With great humility, we're receiving the Word of God. That, that's how we are supposed to look at it and receive it, when we're reading it and when we're hearing it. Right? I want us to jump back now to verses 19 and 20 
which points out even more things and more steps on how we receive the Word of God with meekness. Okay, so in 19, James says this. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, most of the time when, when we read those verses, and, and oftentimes when I read them, I, I had done the same thing, but as I learn more and study more, um, things kind of change, right, when you study more. So if, if most of the time when we read those verses, we just assume that James is talking about our communication skills, right, between brothers and sisters in Christ and how we should react to each other and the words that come out of our mouth um, in communication. And, and I'm, I'm going to say, like, this is really good communication skills, right? When we read that, that's obviously good communication skills that we can, we can use and put into practice. But in this context, in what James is writing, that is not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about it is about the Word of God and how we are to receive it, okay? And so when it comes to receiving God's Word, obviously the first thing that James says is that we are to be quick to hear, all right? Quick to hear. And that means exactly, exactly what it says, right? Be quick to hear the Word of God. It means to be quick to be joyfully receiving the Word of God, and, and urgently pursuing the Word of God, right? In essence, he's saying, take every opportunity that you possibly have to, to dig into God's Word, to know God's Word, and to know His will better, right? Be quick to hear what the Word of God has to say, okay? The next thing James says is be slow to speak. And again, taking all of this in, in context, it really doesn't mean what, what we normally think that it means in, in responding to somebody, but it's how we respond to God's Word. And really what James is telling us is that we must be slow to speak concerning God's Word. I want you to follow along with me here. I want you to turn to chapter 3 of James, if you would. Uh, because in chapter 3, in verse 1, James reinforces and he develops this thought a little bit more when he starts talking about the fact that we need to tame our tongues and how powerful our tongues are and how destructive they can be. And so he kind of completes this thought and brings, brings more information about it there in chapter 3, verse 1, when he tells us this. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater Strictness. Okay? When it comes to the Word of God, we must be slow to speak when it comes to the teaching of the Word of God. We shouldn't be hasty in teaching God's Word because those who teach are judged more strictly. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but when I read verses like that, like that, that puts a little trembling in my spirit. 
mean, because God has, God has called me to teach His Word. And it is, it's a huge responsibility. It's a responsibility that can't be taken lightly, and it's something that we just can't do flippantly. Right? We have to be sure that we're studied up, that we, we know what the Word of God actually says before we start teaching the Word of God to other people. And so when James is saying here, be slow to speak, what he's saying is be slow when you're trying to teach the Word of God so that you're speaking truth to the people who are hearing. Be slow to speak. Next, James says, be slow to become angry. Right? Be slow to become angry. And I think we know what angry means, right? It's an emotion that we all have, but really anger means to have this deep, deep-seated resentment, right? That internal resentment for something. And really, it's to have a rejection of something, right? And in context with James, what he's writing here, it means to have a rejection of God's Word, right? An internal resentment for God's Word. And I think we know how this works, and I think you understand here, but here's how this anger happens. Here's how I see it happening, right? We hear the Word of God, or we read the Word of God, and then oftentimes, as Scripture does, it's very convicting, right? And so we don't like it because it convicts us of our sins, which is the exact thing it is supposed to do, right? Scripture says, or Scripture says about itself that it's God-breathed, that it's good for rebuking and encouraging and, and, and all those things. And so when we read it and hear it, it convicts us of our sins. It also tells us how we're supposed to live our lives as followers of Christ. And sometimes those things are hard for us to hear and to read. And we don't like it. Right? And that's where our sin nature jumps in. Right? We're sinful by nature and we have to deal with all that. Right? So our sin nature jumps in and and so we don't want to live according to God's Word as, it, as we read it and as we hear it. And we don't want to do His will because of that sin nature. So what do we do? We get angry. And then we start to reject the truths that God's Word holds for us. And that's not a good place to be, amen? And the thing about anger, and James says it there in verse 20, he says, the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. And James warns us to be slow to become angry about God's Word. Because that's when we start rejecting it. He says instead, become, instead of becoming angry about God's Word, he says to accept it with meekness with that humility, with that humble heart. Right? So be slow to become angry. The next thing James says when receiving God's Word, we receive it by cleansing ourselves, by cleansing yourself. Right? That's what it says there in verse 21, in the beginning of verse 21. Just to remind us of what that says. James says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Right before he goes on to say, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Alright, so we, we have to cleanse ourselves. In other words, what I'm saying here is it just gives us this image of, of 
stripping off all that immoral filthiness, right? That moral filthiness that we have. Because, again, because of our sin nature, it's stripping it off as if we were taking off extremely nasty, filthy, smelly, dirty clothes. Right? And every time I, I read verses like that, I automatically think of those days when I was a mechanic. Uh, I worked for a really small shop that wasn't really the most clean place. Right? Right? Yeah, my wife's agreeing with me. <laughs> so I would come home like head to toe, grease in my hair, head to toe, just sweaty, smelly, nasty, greasy, gas, transmission fluid, you name it. It was on me, right? Can you imagine what Annie would have done to me if I would have just walked in the house and plopped down on the couch? Hey, honey, good to see you. If I would have done that, I probably wouldn't be here today standing in front of you. <laughs> right? And so, what I would do when I got home because nobody wants that kind of filth in their house, right? So when I got home, I would go to the garage. I had my pile right there by the outside door, and I would, I would take off all my mechanic's clothes and plop it there, and I'd go inside and take a shower and get on clean clothes before I you know, got involved with the family and started touching things in the house because we didn't want that filth all over our house as part of our household, right? And really, it's, it's the same principle when we're talking about God's Word and receiving God's Word. James is saying that we need, to, we need to strip off all that filth and all that evil that can become part of our life. Any of that moral impurity, right? It has to be rejected. It has to be cast away and done away with. We have to get it out of our life. Remove it from your life and, and keep it out of your household. Don't allow those things in. And James is saying, by cleansing yourself, it allows you to fully receive the Word of God. Does that make sense to everybody? I can't hear your head shaking. You guys are allowed to like respond. I, I kind of like that in, in a service. So just so you know, you can respond. So, in receiving God's Word, the last thing is, is cleansing yourself so you can fully receive what God is telling you. Alright, so that's the first thing. You must receive God's Word. The second thing that James points out here is that you must submit to God's Word. And I'm actually just going to read verses 22 um, through 25 here for us. Okay, so the first step is to receive His Word. The second step is to submit to God's Word. Let's see what James tells us there in verse 22. He says, "...but be doers of the Word." And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, so James has given us, he's giving us this illustration here about someone who's looking intently at their face in a mirror, right? But then immediately turns away and then forgets what he looks like. 
And, and when I think about that, I think that's, that's an oxymoron, right? It's two things that don't seem to go together. You shouldn't look at yourself in the mirror and then walk away and say, oh, what do I, what do I look like? I don't remember. Right? So when it comes to submitting to the Word of God, there's, there's three things that are required here for us that James lays out for us in this illustration. First of all, we're going to see that it, it requires examination. Right? It requires examination. That's what verse 25 says. He speaks of one looking into the perfect law of liberty. Right? That's the perfect law of liberty is what Jesus did for us and the freedom that we can have from our sin and our sin nature. Right? That's the perfect law of liberty. He says that what he, what he, when he says he's not talking about, when he, when he says he's talking about someone who he's, oh my goodness, I can't even speak right now. I'm really getting into this. I will get this out. When he says this, he's not talking about someone who just simply looks at God's Word. Right? Because it's easy for us to pick up God's Word, and I can quickly scan through this really quick, right? And sometimes I'm guilty of this. I, I preach to myself up here, guys. It's not just for you. Right? We, we can scan through this and then walk away and then completely forget what we just read. Right? So it's, it's not just somebody who looks at it and then goes on. He's talking about someone who looks intently into God's Word. Right? Someone who examines the Word. That's, that's exactly what we're supposed to do when it comes to God's Word, right? We're supposed to examine it. We are supposed to carefully investigate it. We are supposed to diligently research it and study it, right? We have to be digging deep into what God's Word says and the truths that it holds, right? We have to examine the Word of God. How can we submit to something that we don't know or understand, right? So it requires examination, the next thing, it requires reflection. It requires reflection. Again, James tells us that not only are we to examine the Word, but we are to reflect on His Word. Hence the, this mirror analogy, right? And James says the one who looks into the perfect law, again, the law of liberty, and he says, and the one who perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, James says he will be blessed in his doing. Right? And so we are to continue to look into the Word of God and we are to reflect on it. We're to remember what we have heard. We are to remember what we have read. Right? And, and unless we've studied God's Word, we're not going to be able to make the decisions that we're going to have to make every single day. Right? How many of us have to make a decision on a daily basis? Right? It may be big decisions or small decisions. It doesn't matter. We have to make decisions. Right? We're faced with those every day. We have to know the Word of God on how to handle them. We have to know the Word of God because if we don't, we're going to be more susceptible to temptation. Right? When Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days and He came back with no food or no water, and who came to greet Him? Right? The tempter did. Satan did. And, and how, did he, how did Jesus deal with the temptations that Satan threw his way? He quoted Scripture. Right? He counteracted it with the Word. We have to use God's Word in the same way. 
when it comes to temptation and when it comes to fleeing from temptations. Because many times it's just a product within ourselves, right? That's what James says. Our sin nature, it produces sin. We have to know the Scripture. David, King David also wrote in Psalm 119, verse 11, he says, I have hidden your heart, I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Right? Hiding the Word of God in your heart, the only way to do that is to know it and to reflect on it. Right? I, want, I want you to know that the Word can be your protection. It can be your defense against the devil. Again, it can be a defense against temptation. But we can only use the Word of God if we know the Word of God. Amen? And in order to do that, we have to reflect on the Word. We have to spend time in the Word. And so reading, studying, and memorizing the Word must become a priority in your life when it comes to submitting to it. Alright? The next thing and the last thing we see here, talking about submitting to God's Word, it requires a response. It requires a response. Verse 22. Again, James says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves then again in verse 25 he says that we will be blessed not by simply hearing the word but by doing it right so we must personally respond to god's word right that applies to me that applies to all of you it applies to all of us right you need to do what it says That's what James is telling us. And he says here in the Word that the basis on which we will be blessed is by doing it. If you're not willing to do the Word and do what it says, you probably shouldn't expect a blessing. And I think in in America which is why the survey is so alarming for me, and I think for you as well. Unfortunately, in America, there, many Christians stop at merely hearing the Word and then kind of receiving the Word, and, and they stop there and they don't go any further. They, they lack taking that next, those next essential steps to do what God commands us to do. Right? There, there are too many people who think that they can receive the blessings of God without being obedient to His Word. And I, and I know things like that are, are hard to hear. I'm, but I'm kind of that guy. I like to hear those things. I don't like to sugarcoat things. If, when people are talking to me, I just let's not beat around the bush. Let's just get right to it. Right? And that's, that's how James is too. He's unashamedly and boldly telling us without holding back. He says, if you think that you can receive the blessings of God without doing what His Word says, you are self-deceived. And that's, that's hard for any of us to hear, right? He, he tells us that if you're not willing to put the Word into practice, you're like someone who glances into that mirror but really never sees what he look like. And that's how we deceive ourselves. 
I came across this from George Sweeting, and he wrote about this. He wrote this about an African princess. And I want to read this for you. He, he says, This African princess, she lived in the heart of the uncivilized jungle. And for years, uh, the chieftain's daughter had been told by everyone that she was the most beautiful woman in the entire tribe. Although she had no mirror to view herself, she had been convinced of her unparalleled beauty. And you would expect that because everyone told her that. One day when an exploring party traveled through that part of Africa, the princess was given a mirror as a gift. For the first time in her life, she was able to see her own reflection. Her immediate reaction was to smash the mirror on the nearest rock. So the question is, why? Why would, why would she do that? Well, the answer is, she did that because what she had believed about herself made no difference. Right? She believed that, but when she saw for the very first time, looking into the mirror, that her beauty was not genuine, that it was false, she immediately smashed the mirror because she knew it was false. And isn't that what mirrors do? Right? I'm sure you ladies probably have mirrors in your purse right now that you could get out. And, but we, we check ourselves in the mirror, right? And see if anything's out of place and we, we fix it in the mirror, right? It, it points out those things that need changed. It shows us what we really look like. And when you look into that mirror, you see the brutal truth. And for myself, speaking for myself, and maybe you guys can relate to this, but sometimes I don't want to acknowledge that truth that the mirror is showing me. I don't want it to be true. But the Word of God will serve as a mirror to show you the truth about yourself. Right? But it, it, it won't do you any good unless you apply it to your life and you do what it says. Amen? Okay, the last main point I want to point out here this morning is the fact that you must be moved by God's Word. Let's finish up reading this last section here, verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, we, we have to be moved by God's Word. And unfortunately, again, especially in America, there's, there's this great disparity between what Christians say they believe, right, and, and then the way they behave. 
There's this, this big gap there, right? And I really like what A.W. Tozer says. He puts it this way. Let me read this for you. He says, There is an evil which, in its effect on the Christian religion, may be more destructive than communism, Romanism, and liberalism combined. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So wide is this gulf between theory and practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between the two of them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning message and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct and contrary religions. He says, It appears to me that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. That's a pretty profound statement, isn't it? I mean, I can't disagree with him. I think he's exactly right in what he's saying. And that goes right along with the final thing that James tells us here again in this section of his letter. He says that we must be moved by the Word. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. We, we can't just acknowledge that we need to do what the Word says, right? Because we can all acknowledge that and not do it. But we need to acknowledge the fact that we need to do it, that the Word says we need to do it. But then we need to take that next step and then actually do it. Right? Those are the harder steps to take. Now specifically, James gives us three things for us to look at and specifically do when it comes to being moved by the Word of God. And, and again, he just gives us three, but if we went through the entire Bible, we could be here for weeks, right? Talking about all the instruction and how we're supposed to live as Christians and the commands that God says, this is what you must do and this is how you must live as my follower, Right? It's all throughout His Word, but we're going to take a look at these three things that James says for us to do specifically. Alright, the first thing that we read there is to bridle your tongue. Bridle your tongue. He says that if you think that your religion is pure, right? If you think that you are religious, but you can't control your tongue, right? Meaning all those things that come out of our mouths and the bad words and the nasty comments that we make to people and the, the coarse joking that Scripture talks about. Right? He says if you can't control your tongue in that way, he says you deceive your heart and your religion is worthless. It's hard to hear, but that's, that's the power of the tongue. Right? And I know James talks about it more in depth in chapter 3, and I know we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But that's what he's talking about here, right? Earlier in this section, he, he told us that we're supposed to be slow to speak concerning the teaching of God's Word. And now what he's saying is different. Right now he goes on to this is how you must control your speech. Right? That's what bridle means. It means to control. And, and listen, the, the purity of our hearts is revealed by what comes out of our mouths. Right? Jesus talks about that too. He also says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, He says, I tell you, 
on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. There's a lot of power behind the words that come out of our mouths. And from what Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 12, I think you can understand the importance of controlling your tongue. Right? Because he says it has the power to either justify you or the power to condemn you. And when he says condemn, we are talking about condemning into the pits, the fiery pits of hell. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's the power of our tongue. And James is warning us and says, bridle your tongue, Christians, because it has power behind it. Alright? The next thing we see here is the fact that we are supposed to care for other people. Right? We read here that Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. Now this word visit can mean exactly that, to go visit them, but there's also this meaning of caring for, making sure their needs are met, right? And so this is what James is talking about. Specifically, he's talking about the orphans and the widows. And, And so in other words, living out what the word says in a practical way will mean that we care about others. Right? The, the affliction of widows and orphans is important to God. And if something is important to God, then it should be important to us. Can I get an amen on that one? Right? And He commands us to care for the widows and the orphans. It's all throughout Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. There's no point in the Scripture that you're going to find where God's not concerned about this. Right? I don't take these verses as a suggestion. I take these verses as a command from God that we are to care for the widows and the orphans. And we can do that in many different ways. It looks different for each and every one of us. I know what it looks like for for my family and, and how we do that. But it can look different for you. The point is, we should be doing this. Specifically in this way, as James says. Okay, we have to be caring for other people. Lastly here, being moved by God's Word, we see that James says, the way I like to say it, be in the world, but not of the world. Right? He tells us that the mark of true spirituality, of true um, religion, again, is taking care of the widows and the orphans, but he also says to keep yourself unstained by the world. In other words, again, it's keeping your life clean. It's cleansing yourself. It's guarding your life. It's being careful with your life. It's watching what you do, right? It's being careful about what you allow into your household and with your family. Don't let anything keep you from having a pure heart and a clean mind. That's what James is talking about. And I always like to say, if, if you love what the world loves and does what the world does, I know that doesn't make grammatical sense, but it rhymes, right? Don't love what the world loves and don't do what the world does. If you're doing those things, then there's things that got to be cast out of your life. Be in the world, but not of the world. Does that make sense to everybody?
So listen, I, I want to wrap things up here this, this morning because um, we're running out of time. But again, James is hitting us hard just in this little section of Scripture so that we understand the importance of God's Word in our lives, right? And, and when it comes to the Word of God, and I just want this to be a recap just to make sure um, that you have all the information, here's what we need to do. You must receive it. Right? By being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and by cleansing yourself. Right? You must submit to it, which requires examination and reflection, and it requires a response. And lastly, you must be moved by it, by bridling your tongue, caring for others, and being in the world, but not of the world. And I want to leave you with this last thought here up on the slide. Don't just be hearers of the word and then forget what it says and deceive yourself, but be doers of the word and you will be blessed by doing it. Amen? All right, let me pray for us here this morning. Well, Father God, um, first and foremost, we acknowledge you for who you are. You are our creator. You are our sustainer. You are merciful. You are just. You are holy. And Lord, you call us to be holy just as you are holy. And and we know that we're only made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and the sacrifice he made so that we could find forgiveness for our sins, so that we could be washed clean. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are washed clean in the eyes of the Father because of what you've done. But in our walk on this side of heaven, we must strive to be holy. We must strive to to know your word, to hear it with a humble heart, to accept it, to receive it, to not get angry at it when it can convicts us of sins or convicts us of things that we we need to do differently or take out of our life or things that we need to bring into our life that we're supposed to be doing because we can sin against you in both ways by doing something we shouldn't and by not doing something that we should. I pray, Lord, that you would put an urgency in us to know your word to know who you are. Your word reveals who you are to us. It's the only way that we can hear from you is through your word. So it must be the utmost importance in our life to study, reflect, memorize, examine everything that James tells us to do here. We have to be doing. And so Lord, I would pray that we would take anything out of our life that we need to take out so that we could do that whatever it is, that we would make changes that we need to make, whatever it requires. Lord, may we do that. And I know James is a hard-hitting letter for us to read, but maybe other people are like me. Sometimes we just need a smack upside the head or a swift kick to get us on track. And so I thank you for the words you've given us here in James. 
that he doesn't hold back any punches. He just lays it out there like it is. I pray we would receive what you have given to us through James. Lord, as we leave here from this place, again, give us courage, give us strength, give us your protection against the enemy, against temptation, that we, we may be about your business and your work as we leave this place, that he wouldn't get, it, get a foothold in our life, that temptation wouldn't get a foothold in our life, but that we would just serve you fully and wholly. Lord, it's always my prayer that as we're going, we would see those people that need to be seen, that we would hear what they have to say, that you would give us the words to say to them so that you could draw them into salvation and into your kingdom. Guide us and direct us. Keep us in your loving arms. We ask it in your mighty and powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming out and worshiping with us here this morning. A beautiful, beautiful weekend, so I hope you enjoy it. And as you're leaving, as always, uh, fellowship with one another, pray with one another, and we will see you back here next week. God bless.